This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. This week is a very special episode because Erica had never heard of it before. Yeah, that's true. I picked this episode and uh, I said, hey, Erica, how about this one? She's like, I don't know that one. Yeah, which never happens. So Ever. And then she loved it. Yeah. So if this episode sucks, it's Grant's fault is what he's saying. If it's bad, it's usually my fault anyway. So I'll take it. Well, that's true, too. Well, happy 2022 (laughs) to everybody. We made it. Yep. Betty, Betty White didn't, but but we did. Yeah. Why do you have to start everything all bummery? Well, you know, just, you know, it's just in remembrance. That's our remembrance of her. Yeah. Well, before we get into this week's episode, we're going to take a little break and hear from our sponsor this week, CrimLawOC.com. Did you get a DUI on New Year's or punch your in-laws in the face at Christmas dinner? Visit our favorite criminal defense attorneys, Dallas and Jonathan, at CrimLawOC.com. That's C-R-I-M-L-A-W-O-C.com. All right, well, let's get right into this week's episode, Janet March. Janet March is actually, she started as Janet Levine, and she grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Parents, Lawrence and Carolyn Levine, and he was a very, very successful attorney. She didn't go without anything growing up. They had it all, and she even went to all like the best private schools and just had really loving parents who could provide her the absolute best. Yes, and she was also a very talented artist, and she graduated high school in 1981 and decided to go to college at the University of Michigan, which is where her dad, Lawrence, had gone to college. Yeah, that's pretty cool that she was able to kind of follow in his footsteps. Yeah. But this is kind of why she's known as Janet March, because when she went there, she ended up meeting a boy named Perry March. And while they were in school there, they kind of coupled up. They started dating and the two eventually fell in love. Yeah. And Perry March grew up in Chicago with his dad, Arthur March, who is quite a character. And we'll get into him a little bit later in the episode. (laughs) But he was a pharmacist in in the military, and Perry was an excellent student and a talented athlete. When he was nine years old, his mom passed away, and Arthur has always said it was from an allergic reaction to a prescription drug, but a lot of sources say that it was an accidental overdose, and some even speculated that it wasn't much of an accident, that it could have been suicide, but we'll get back to that later. I know. I'm really excited to talk about that in the theories, though, because there's a element of that that I just it just seems too familiar. But again, yeah. we'll get into it later. But ooh, I just I love it. Yeah. So after his his mom, Zephora, passed away, Arthur moved the family to their vacation home in Michigan, which is why he ended up going to college in Ann Arbor, because in-state tuition was quite a bit less expensive than an out-of-state college would have been. And being he was now in a single-parent household, this made more sense for their family. Yeah. And, you know, it's obviously a great school, too. But after Perry graduated from Michigan, he was two years older than Janet, so she actually stopped going. And they both moved back to Chicago and... She started taking classes at the Art Institute of Chicago, which was really more of her speed anyway. She was a very talented artist. Yeah. 
But she was homesick when she got to Chicago and she wanted to move home to Nashville. And Perry wanted to go to law school. So Janet's parents, who are apparently the nicest people in the world, offered to pay for Perry's tuition and life, pretty much, to go to law school at Vanderbilt in Nashville. Perry March really hit the jackpot with these people as in-laws because they seem to have no problem paying for you know these kinds of things. And again, it was obviously to the betterment of their daughter. Right. But how, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's deep pockets and deep love. You know what I mean? Yeah, big time. But while he was in law school, they'd been together for years and Janet got sick of waiting for Perry to ask her. So she got down on one knee and proposed to him herself. So in 1987, she was 24 and he was 26. They got married. I think that's super cool that they did that. Yeah. So Perry was doing really, really well in law school, and but he was still a year away from graduating. So he wasn't working. So the Levines, once again, bought them a house in a very affluent neighborhood in Nashville. Talk about a score of in-laws. I know, you know dude. Got through law school, bought him a house, and then- after he graduated law school, he took a job at ja- at Bass, Barry, and Sims, which was a Nashville-based law firm. And Janet started her own career as an artist, too. So she is starting off, and she get, began with illustrating a children's book. He gets to walk into a very lucrative paying job with no debt, mm-hmm. no mortgage payment. Again, you know, they're do. I know why they're doing it. It's for the betterment of their daughter, ultimately. But, I mean... He is reaping the benefits of this just hand over foot. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and it's also been said that he was very close with the Levines, especially with Janet's mom, Carolyn, because he had lost his own mother when he was super young. So she was like a mother figure to him. So I think in some ways they they really embraced him. As their son-in-law, like as their son. Yeah, absolutely. And as newly married couples generally do, they had their first child very shortly after in 1990, and they named him Samson, which I think is a really cool name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a cool name for a kid. Yeah, it is cool. It'd be cooler if the dad's name was Sam, because it'd be Sam's son. <laughs> but okay. So their second child was a daughter named Zipporah, which was after Perry's mother, who had passed away when he was young. And Zipporah was born in 1994. So sometime in the late 80s, Perry's dad, Arthur, retired and he had gone into foreclosure on his home in Michigan because he was trying to live off his pension and obviously he's not very good with money or he wasn't ready to retire or something. So Janet's parents, once again, being the nicest people on the planet. They bought his home back from the bank and continued to let him live there without paying rent. Is that not just what? Yeah. Like, but again, in the grand scheme of things, I guess it's to the betterment of their daughter because otherwise he's going to move in with them. Yeah. So, well, you know, I guess everything they do is for her benefit. Yeah. Well, they did finally convince him to move to Nashville to be closer to his grandkids and. The Levines even let him live with them for a while when he moved to Nashville. And then they even gave him the money to help him, like, get his own place and get on his feet once he got to Nashville. So that's incredible. Yeah. So at this point, they've bought Perry and Janet a house. They paid for Perry to go to Vanderbilt Law School. They bought Arthur's house in Chicago or in Michigan and let him live there without paying any rent. And they let him move in with yeah. them and helped him get on his feet in Nashville. Like, these people are amazing. 
like they obviously really love their daughter. Yeah, this doesn't happen. <laughs> like yeah. people who love their their children still don't do this. Like this is yeah, sub above and beyond. But I mean, it seems like both Perry and Janet though are kind of both making their way. So it's not like they're you know living off of the money they're giving them. They've just given them every leg up that they could. Right. So this is where they should have lived happily ever after and had a successful life and two wonderful kids and a dog and probably taking family photos once a year and matching outfits to hang over their fireplace. But if that happened, <laughs> we wouldn't be doing an episode about them. So instead, Perry turned out to be a slime ball. Yeah. What are you doing, man? Like when he was working at that law firm, Bass, Barry and Sims, he decided to start sending like anonymous creepy notes to coworkers. Like, what are you doing? You literally have the best life you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. But they were going out to a, a paralegal named Jane. Well, her name isn't Jane. We're going to call her Jane because we're not going to say her name. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So in these notes to Jane, he talked about her body and about how he fantasized about performing oral sex on her for like really long periods of time. He also- Jesus. I know. It's really creepy. Like- it, it's like it's so like so straight to the point like you can't even wiggle around that like you're an attorney you think you'd be able to be like hey like i didn't say that a smooth I, talker yeah and he's just like i want to do these very graphic things to you explicitly like yeah okay yeah he also mentioned that he was married and loved his wife but that marriage has a way of making sex old and boring so Shockingly, Jane was not tempted by these letters at all. She was mortified <laughs> and grossed out, and she felt violated. She was being sexually yeah. harassed at work. So she reported them to her bosses at the law firm, and they actually did the right thing and hired a private investigator to figure out who was sending these letters. And in one of these letters, it said that if she was interested in his offer to write back to him and put her answer in a book that was in the firm's library. So the private investigator set up cameras and the cameras caught Perry being the only perv that was checking the spot for the letter. I love all of that. I really do. I yeah. love that he's super creepy and that they did the the law firm did the 100% right thing and was like we're going to make sure that this gets handled once and for all yeah and i love that this idiot just <laughs> felt thought she was going to respond with a yes like that's the best part is like he was hoping for a yes like are you stupid like that's what happen, i don't understand man. about these letters it's like what did you really think this like do you really think she was going to write back and be like cool sounds great where do we meet like, for, yeah. she doesn't even know who great. you are. I was just going to say that. Like, great anonymous person. I'm all in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Stupid. Yeah. yeah, he's dumb. Yeah. So the law firm gave him the option to resign or be fired, which are pretty much your only two options when you do some shit yeah. like this at work. So it was taking a little bit longer than everybody liked for him to resign. So Jane, the paralegal, quit because she's like, fuck this. You should have fired him. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, it took long for him to resign. Like, isn't that like an immediate thing? Like, which, by the way, he should have been fired anyway. Like, they shouldn't have even given, given him, a him choice. that option. Right. But um, what do you mean? Like. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> like, yeah, if that's the case, like, like let me think about whether really I want to quit up. or get fired. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But whatever. I, I will say I've been in that spot one time. 
<laughs> I had to make the choice right then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the reason that his took a little longer was because there were stipulations in with the resignation. Like, if he resigned instead of getting fired, he had to go to counseling. And there was, like, stipulations in with it. So, anyway, she didn't like that. She quit, obviously. But then talks of a lawsuit started, so the firm fired him. They were like, okay, you're fired because we don't want to be involved in this. And they came to a settlement. Perry and this paralegal that he would pay her $25,000 and they would be in multiple installments. And then the last installment would be a balloon payment of $12,500. So he obviously didn't tell Janet or her parents about any of this. That's the crazy thing too, that he kept this a secret. Like, yeah, I, there's not a chance in hell. Again, I don't have this kind of money, but there's not a chance in hell he keep thousands of dollars a secret from Christine. But like I said, I don't have many thousands of dollars. So <laughs> right, she would. One makes it. a big splash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so he also didn't go get another job. He went to work at Janet's dad's law firm. So he's oh, really good. just living off the Levines. So- so did he, and he didn't tell them this. He's just like, hey guys, I'm ready to quit and join the family business. Yeah, I don't know how it went down. I've Ugh. heard that he used the excuse that he had some disputes with coworkers at that law firm and he just thought it would be a good move. And it's like, well, they thought you would be good to get out. <laughs> yeah, they probably gave him a raise too over at their law firm anyway, just because that's the kind of people they are. Yeah. So... Sometime around the early 90s, even with all the help the Levines gave Arthur, Perry's dad, he went bankrupt again and decided to move to Mexico where he could live more comfortably on his pension because it's a lot cheaper to live in Mexico. Kind of cool, too, that he was just like, eh, I'm going to go live down in Mexico. And I I mean, you've seen that Dateline or whatever it was like he is very comfortable in Mexico. Oh, I know. Like he is a local celebrity. Yeah. You know, like they love him down there. And it sounds like he doesn't even speak very good English. Like he speaks okay English or Spanish, I mean. Speaks okay Spanish, but like not very good. He really only speaks like... okay English also. <laughs> <laughs> but like it it's just so funny. Like he just is like, yeah, like they, everyone knows me around here. He's like Norm. Yeah. So Perry at this point is working at Lawrence Levine's law firm. Janet's making a career out of her art. They're starting to have marital problems at this point. But they have two young children, and they decide to buy a four-acre lot in Forest Hills, which is a really affluent area of Nashville. And That they sounds bu- pretty cool. Four yeah. acres in Nashville? Yeah. So they bought this lot so that they could build Janet's 5,300-square-foot dream home. And she was really involved in the building of this home. Like, she was in charge. She was the one that talked to the contractor. She was the one that supervised all the work on the home, everything. And it took about a year to complete it before they could move in. Is that a long time to build a house? I don't know. Um, Is that substantial? I mean, I yeah. I mean, I know my church like will go down to Mexico for like, you know, mission trips and build houses and stuff like in a day or two. Yeah, but they're but, not like, they're not very 5, big. 300 square foot houses. Right. Ex- <laughs> exactly. They're not very big and you know, they're they're just quick and they go up. But like is a year to to build a house? Is, is that a long time? I don't know. You you um, know a lot more about house building than I do. I think it just depends on how custom the home is and what's involved in it. Like my boss has built their house and it's about 
5,300, actually think it's about 5,500 square feet. But theirs was one of those like semi-custom homes where you like choose a floor plan and you get to choose all your options and stuff, but it's in a development. And so those go up a lot faster because they're building one after the other after the other and they're doing things all at the same time. Building your own home from scratch where you have to hire a contractor for this and hire a contractor for that, I think a year is probably pretty normal. All right. But it takes a while because it's very custom. That's, yes. Like the more custom it is, the more, the longer it's going to take. Because the more contractors you have to hire and the more, yeah, you have to do all the building permits yourself and stuff. If you're doing it like in a development where they're building 20 homes at the same time, all of that stuff is done by the builder. You know what I mean? Gotcha. When you're doing it yourself, you are the builder. Gotcha. Now I'm much more knowledgeable on house building. So a year is a good amount of time to build a custom house. Yeah. And in different parts of the country, they have weather issues too, where- it could delay a project for a month if there's oh yeah frozen ground or two feet of snow or rain or tornadoes. We grew up in somewhere where the weather is not a thing. The weather doesn't stop you from doing anything at any time of the year. I never think about weather like being an issue ever. Mm-hmm. And then like I, I look at pictures of what people go through and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I can't even believe that that's habitable. Right. <laughs> In other parts of the country, they have to, like, plan around certain months. They can't do things. I know. I salute those people because, like, I just, I do whatever I want all year round. Like, there might be, like, a week or two where it's a little bit of a bummer, but. I don't know if it's still like this because it's 2022 and we have different machines and stuff now. But one of the weirdest things that I heard was my grandpa told me a story that when his mom passed away, she passed away in December. And because they lived in Minnesota, they didn't bury her until April because the ground was frozen. So what'd they do with her? They kept her at the morning. What do you do? Refrigerated. Just, what? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I don't know that they still do that because it's 2022. We have like machines that can break through frozen ground. But this was like in the early 90s when my grandpa's mom died and they couldn't bury her until April. If anybody knows anything about this, please drop us a line on Instagram at From Crime to Crime. That's incredible. I, what? Like, that's just not, not something I've ever thought about. No. Because the worst thing we ever think about is the rain. Like, if it's raining for a day, it's like, oh, we can't do stuff. But it's like, tomorrow it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, you play heads up, seven up, and pretty much hate everybody in your classroom. And then, yeah. like, heads eventually up, go outside and you're up. like, this is great. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, put your head down and your thumb up. Yep. And get to eat lunch in the classroom. Yeah, that part wasn't too bad. I didn't, like, necessarily hate that, but... Uh... Man, I like being outside. I hated like being cooped up inside with it all stuffy in there and, mm-hmm. you know, can't run around. Yep. So anyway, we're spoiled on the weather It was the point of that little tangent. But let's get back to this. So by 1996, it was getting really bad, their marriage problems. And they had moved into the new house. But there was rumors of extramarital affairs and Perry not coming home at night. And this guy's a damn idiot. Yeah, He's just he stupid. is an idiot. That's the first like, thing I thought of. I was like, "What a dumbass!" <laughs> yeah. like, you're gonna cheat like, on your you... wife. What? <laughs> she is your life. You dumb shit. Ditch your dad, man. <laughs> He's bad news. Oh man, like, your your wife and her family are are just 
they're perfect. That that is not a good reason to like marry somebody <laughs> or to not cheat on them. But that was the first thing I thought of was this guy is a moron. Like, yeah, he is literally going to lose everything. Yeah. So he's stupid. Perry had even confided in Janet's mom that they'd been having problems and fighting a lot, even in front of the kids, which really upset Janet's mom. And she said that Perry should move out if they couldn't stop fighting in front of the kids because she didn't like that. So Perry and Janet started seeing a psychiatrist who suggested, based on the fights they had in his office, that they separate, which is pretty bad when you have a shrink going, hey, you two should break up. <laughs> it's really bad when it gets to that point. Yeah. So he has since recalled that Janet had mentioned in one of their last sessions, like she had mentioned to him, have you, do you know the real reason that Perry isn't at his law firm anymore? And da, 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 which the psychiatrist did not know. So this would lead you to kind of believe that Janet had found out about Perry's sexual harassment of the paralegal Jane. I, I would hope so. Like, I would yeah. hope somebody would tell her that, you yeah. know, like. Well, in mid-August, the $12,500 payment was due and Perry asked Jane for an extension. So I don't know. Jane, probably not because she's probably a nice, upstanding lady. But if he did that to me, I would probably tell his wife. Oh, you would walk up to her. Yeah. It would if be he didn't, funny. If he didn't make that payment on time, I'd, I'd send her a letter. I'd walk right up to her and tell her about it. I'd show her the letter. Oh, I like, know you would. should have made your payment great. on time. I feel like you'd get your payment and then after the last payment, then go tell his wife. Oh, well, I would be doing that too. Just because yeah. she should know who she's married to. Right, right. And But you were sexually harassed, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> you should get your payout. But the vindictive side of me, if the payment was late, I would tell her. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. This isn't a, there's no grace period here, buddy. Yeah. Their marital problems just kept getting worse. Perry would come home from work and he would be doing dinner and put the kids to bed and then spending a lot of times at local motels and their housekeeper was noticing books on divorce were around and their nanny noticed that she was more with John than normal and and Janet and her mother they also made an appointment to talk to a divorce attorney on August 16th which did they really need to I mean their dads I know I'm like everybody lawyer. in this family is a lawyer that's like yeah like how and <laughs> how specialty does it need to get well, and I don't mean to sound like harsh or anything, but her parents own everything. They own their house. They own his his life. They own her. Like, they own everything. So if yeah, but... Perry and Janet get divorced, it's like it all goes to the Levines because they bought everything. Well, I bet the house is in their name or not in their name. You know, I'm sure they put up the cash for it, but I'm sure it's not in their name. Well, maybe. I don't know. But it wouldn't matter because the day before that appointment on August 15th, Two workers came to install a countertop and fix a faucet that was leaking. And they were there for about an hour. And they noticed that Perry was outside playing with the kids. And Janet was inside with the workers, you know, supervising. And that was the last time that anybody outside of the family ever saw Janet. That's nuts. I mean, that's for that to be the way that she is last seen is just by a couple guys who came over to install a countertop. Yep. That's... Pretty gnarly. Yeah. So the rest of the story of that evening is according to Perry, because Janet's not around to tell her side of what happened. From this point on. I mean, that's yeah. all we have is what is what Perry says. There's nothing else to go off of. Yeah. So he says after the kids were in bed, he and Janet started arguing like normal. 
And around 8 p.m., he offered to go get a hotel for the night, which is kind of weird that that's how they're doing this because I'm like, 5,300 square feet. Like, you don't have a bedroom downstairs. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, again, this guy's a creep. So he's probably looking for a reason to get out. You know what I mean? Like to literally get out of the house. Right. So he offered to go to the hotel, but Janet said, according to Perry, Janet said, no, I'll go. He says that she told him that she needed a vacation and that he should deal with the kids for a while to know what it's like to do everything alone. And according to Perry, she packed clothes into two bags and a suitcase, her passport, $1,500 in cash and a bag of weed. And he also said that she left him a written list of things to do while she was gone because he hadn't been helping around the house, which was part of their argument, was that he's always gone now and at hotels and not helping her with anything and that she needed a break. So at 8.30, she got in her Volvo and she left. And he says that she told him that she would be gone 12 days, which, no. 12 days is an odd amount of time. Yeah. That is... Way more than a normal, like, burnt out parent who needs a minute and is pissed off at their spouse and is like, you deal with these kids. Like, I feel, I don't know, because I'm not a parent, but I feel like that would be like a, in the heat of the moment, you leave and then you come back later that day. Or worst case scenario, the next day. And, I mean, to be honest, especially as a mom, mom's probably coming back, you know that night because it's her kids and she probably feels like dad though doesn't help isn't even equipped to help with most things anyway right so you know this guy's not around like he wouldn't be equipped to help her yeah so 12 days seems extreme at about 9 p.m he started calling his brother and sister they still live in chicago and he called janet's best friend and he's telling that she left for a vacation you know she's he's telling them exactly what He's sayings happened was yeah. she packed her bag, she left, and she went on a, a 12-day vacation. And around <laughs> midnight, this is yeah, it's a stupid story. It's, it's a stupid a dumb story. story. You know, what? It, he, I bet he called his brother and sister first because they were safer and would kind of help, like, mold the story, like, Maybe. as they went. And he, like, solidified it and was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll tell her best friend this. That sounds legit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked on it all the way through. But about midnight, he called the Levines with his finished story. And Carolyn didn't immediately worry because, you know, they had that appointment the next day. So she was kind of like, eh, you know, she'll show up. And she told Perry to have Janet call her when she got home because, you know, she really wasn't worried that she wasn't going to come home. Right. She was thinking the same thing that I was thinking, that Janet got pissed and left. And yeah, exactly. she'd go blow off some steam and then she'd come back because there's no way in hell she's going to leave her kids. Like, that's totally not a thing. Absolutely. And the next day, people started noticing that this wasn't normal. She missed that appointment with the attorney and her mom. The housekeeper showed up and there was no list from Janet and the house was already clean, which is very suspect that the house was already clean with a couple young kids in there already. Yeah, and it was suspect because Janet always left a list for the housekeeper or the nanny or anybody. She was known for leaving lists. Like, this is what I want done today. She was very clear about supervising the work that was going on in her home. Which, I mean, I guess that's a good cover story for for Perry, and that's you know why he said, oh, she left me a list. Like, that's kind of her M.O., so... But he also told the housekeeper not to clean the kids' playroom, which 
was unusual to the housekeeper since everything else seemed very clean. So she's like, the fuck do you want me to clean then? <laughs> and and also, where is Janet? Well, he said that Janet had gone to California on a business trip. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> business? Like, that would have been planned out well in advance and she would have yeah. had, you know, everything taken care of well in advance. It yeah. wasn't like a last minute thing, including, hey, housekeeper, yeah. probably come a little bit more since I'm not going to be here and- you know, this guy's going to be here with the kids. Like, you know well, what I mean? Like, And especially the nanny showed up later on that morning. And once again, no Janet and no list. And Perry told her that she went to California to visit her younger brother, Mark. And the nanny was like, fat chance. If she was going on a vacation, she would have left me a list of things to do about the kids. There's no way she just decided last night to go on a vacation. Yeah, no way. You know, like. That's and that's not even what the story he said was like. Right, she was going out for, you know, she was going out then, right then. Right, you'd have to. There's a lot of planning that takes goes into getting, you know, an airline ticket in 1994. Yeah, then later on that morning, another friend showed up of Janet's that she had a play date scheduled with for that friend's child to come and play with her kids. When that lady showed up at like 10 o'clock, she was startled because Janet wasn't home. And Samson answered the door, not even Perry. Samson answered the door. And she was like, excuse me, where are your parents? And then he came out of his office and said that, oh, Janet didn't tell me anything about the play date, but it's fine because the nanny's here. So this friend left her kid there because the nanny was there. But she did notice that there was a rolled up rug in the hallway. And she noted that that was super odd because the house was brand new and perfectly decorated and she's like what the fuck is that rug doing rolled up there and when she came to pick her son up a few hours later perry wasn't even home the kids were just there with the nanny she's like what was the point of this play date (laughs) well the kids got to play together but yeah but i mean play dates are like so the moms can also hang out too and like there was nobody there (laughs) yeah no i i don't know though obviously there's something going on but the crazy thing too about that rug is that samson was like jumping on it you know like why was that rug rolled up you know like yeah so that afternoon perry took the kids to lawrence and carolyn's and he and lawrence went out driving around looking for janet's car looking for janet they checked local hotels the airport carolyn was starting to really worry at this point because her daughter had never and would never leave her kids like she knew something was wrong Perry pulled out all the stops on this. Like he went looking at an, at the airport, you know, it's like, all right, man. Yeah. So the, you know, she's not there. Yeah. So the Levines wanted to call the police, but Perry and his brother who had flown in from Chicago at this point, talked them out of it. They tried to tell them that they wanted to wait the 12 days that she said she would be gone before they called the police. He called his dad, Arthur, in Mexico, and Arthur drove out to help with the kids while they looked for Janet or waited for her to come home from this bullshit vacation that is obviously totally made up. So by the end of that week, everybody was starting to really worry that her 12-day time frame made no sense because her son Samson's sixth birthday party was on the 25th, and she had spent time planning it. She had mailed out invitations. Like, it was a big party. There's no way she would have missed this party. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's her kid's birthday party. There's no, again, no way 
no, she's not going to say a word. She's not going to, yeah. you know, have any kind of contact, you know, not send it something. Right. You know, absolutely no way. And obviously she'd never done anything like this before. So why would she? Mm-hmm. So the party comes and goes and everybody at the party was told some variation of Perry's California story. And Arthur immediately left the day after the party. And Carolyn and Lawrence kind of thought that was a little weird. And it made them more upset when Perry started talking kind of badly about Janet, like saying stuff like she ruined my life and, you know, just kind of like really <laughs> negative. She's the best shit. thing ever happened to you. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> and I'm sure that's what her parents were thinking. Like, are you shitting me? Like, yeah, get real. So after this party and Perry started getting really negative about Janet on August 29th, they decided to screw Perry and what he wanted, and they went to the Nashville police and they reported their daughter missing. That was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think so. Janet's family and the police found a lot of problems with Janet's list, too. I mean, she was known to write lists. We talked about that, but this one was just different. Like, it was typed on the computer, and her mother, the housekeeper, and nanny said she exclusively handwrote her lists. And... That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's 1994. Like, it really is kind of a cumbersome task to type it out, print it out, Mm -hmm. have it come out with those, you know, (laughs) those perforated edges you have to tear off to leave out. So (laughs) I forgot about (laughs) that. I know. So, like, yeah, it does make a lot more sense that these lists would be handwritten, you know, and she's an artist. So her handwriting is probably very lovely as well. Yeah. But she was also known to exclusively use lowercase letters, and this note had a lot of capital letters. And she always dated her lists at the top of the page, and this one was dated at the bottom. So, like, pretty minor things when you really think about them, but stuff that made it seem like she did not write this list. Yeah, it's that's kind of, I don't know, that's just so weird, like, that that's the, you know, that something so minor like that would get overlooked. Right. Well, just um, like by, it didn't mention the play date and Janet had scheduled that yeah. play date for the following day. So if she really left in that list, it would say, hey, this person's yeah, coming over date. for a play date. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But Perry argues that he made that play date, which is why Janet didn't put it on the list, because he was the one that scheduled that, not her. But the friend who came over for the play date was like, uh, who is this guy? No. I made this yeah. play date with Janet. Like, the fuck are you talking about? So, yeah. You're just a liar. Yeah. So, I don't know. There was a lot of things that made them think that she didn't write this letter, this this list. There's a lot of things that point to the fact that Perry March wrote the list. And I think Perry March wrote that list, too. Well, yeah. And her brother said that he'd been really nervous after her disappearance and just... Like instance after instance of him being awkward around the cops and awkward around her family and Hey creepy people, this is P and W Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin and I'm Cassie. Together we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. We're just two normal-ish friends who wanted more creepy local stories. Our episodes start with a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on each topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. 
Come join us. We've got plenty of wine, laughs, and stories to share. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous as well as lesser-known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13 and Forest Park. As well as our spooky stories from Pike Place in the Oregon Vortex on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. For all of you that are listening, if you have any true crime or paranormal stories that you want us to share, email us at pnwhauntsandhomicides at gmail.com. Have Have a a creepy creepy ass ass day. So the timestamp on this letter was 8.17 p.m. on August 15th, which would match kind of, I guess, what he's saying. But she just didn't normally type them, so that's kind of weird. But there was another file on the computer when her brother came to look at the list. Perry showed it to him on the computer, which he was really awkward about, and locked him out of the house first and did all kinds of weird stuff. But there was another file that her brother saw that was like a list of everything Perry had ever wronged her for. And he couldn't figure out how to print that list, and he never saw it again, but... Just like weird things, they started to get really suspicious of Perry. That he had wronged her for? like Yeah, like she had a list on her computer that she was probably keeping for her divorce attorney. Like every time he cheated on her, every time he sexually harassed paralegals at his law firm, every t- you know. Oh, oh, I misunderstood. I thought Perry had the list. No. And I was like, what a weirdo. But no, Janet keeping the list makes tons of sense. And yes. she should have definitely kept the list. I'm glad she did. Yes. But nobody ever saw that list again, so we'll get to that later. But yeah. So the the police immediately thought her time frame was odd, too, because even though 12 days would have made sense, like, right up front, because it was 12 days until her son's birthday, it was only 10 days until the party. And even the cops were like, why would she plan a party she wasn't going to come to? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like... Stupid. Perry probably didn't even know about the party. Yeah, he probably didn't. So the detectives, you know, kind of checked local hospitals and Janet's credit cards, bank accounts, but they didn't find any trace of Janet anywhere. So her brother Mark had come to Nashville from California. And of course, he's like, no, she's not in California. Yeah, I haven't seen her. No. Yeah, because that's what Perry had been telling people. Well, of course it's what he like said, you know, but like, h- what a stupid thing to say. Like, yeah. unless he's going to say like, oh, she died on the way or she got lost along the way or that's yeah. just what she told me or whatever. It's like, dude, you're dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. So the first break in the case came a little over a week after she was reported missing. On September 7th, they found her car, and it was backed into a parking space at an apartment complex about five miles from where they lived. So inside the car were some of the items that Perry said Janet had taken with her, but the detective who processed the car said that there was a layer of dust and pollen on the car that made it seem like it had been there for a while. And there was cobwebs on the wheels and stuff like that. So... They think the car was parked there for a while. And inside, they found her purse, her ID, her credit cards, her passport, $11 in cash, a suitcase with clothing, and a small toiletry bag with, you know, like makeup and stuff in it. Yeah. So pretty much everything that Perry said she took with her except the suitcase and the money. 
and the weed. I was guess. the weed there? No. Oh. Well, so that's what I was gonna say. Why did he say she took that? Like, I think he was trying if... to make her look bad. I think he was trying to make I... it look like she was gonna go off on a stoned out bender for twelve days. Yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking, but. I yeah. wasn't totally sure. So the front passenger seat had been pushed back and the driver's seat was pushed all the way for- forward. And there was a pair of shoes, Janet's white shoes, like on the floorboard in front of the driver's seat. But they were carefully placed there, not like kicked off by somebody driving a car. They were like placed. So they also thought it was weird that Janet's suitcase was there and it had a bunch of sundresses that would be packed for the summertime, but no bras or underwear. And her toiletry bag only had makeup in it. It didn't have makeup remover or toothpaste or a hairbrush or Q-tip, like other things that women would bring. It so it kind of yeah. Looked this like... was definitely packed by a man. <laughs> yep, Christine packs all of our stuff. So it, that's what it looked like to the cops too. Like a man packed this bag as if a woman packed it. But a woman would never yeah. forget her bras. That's totally something a guy would just be like, yeah, dress, some shirts, pants. That They got it. That's fine. Totally. Yep. So a private investigator that was hired by the Levines interviewed Perry. And she noted that he referred to Janet in the past tense right away from the very first time she talked to him. Some people do. And it could just be a heat of the moment thing. But also you would do if you knew she was already dead. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. yeah. I get what I get where you're going with it. I understand the the. No, I I mean that quickly after. Eh, it's it's a little weird. It's not that weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. A couple of weekends later, Perry took the kids to Chicago because it was Rosh Hashanah, and he went to go do you know the holiday with his family. But while he was gone, the Nashville police. They obtained a search warrant for Perry and Janet's house, and they discovered that the computer's hard drive had been forcibly removed. Furthermore, it couldn't be found, which, yeah, why? Why would somebody take that out? Yeah. And just that. Because he's obviously sketch. Just like they found out that just like five days after she went missing, he had taken his Jeep to a tire store and had new tires put on his Jeep. And the tire store owner told them that his original tires were in great condition and he didn't know why Perry wanted them changed. And Perry just told him that he just wanted a different brand. But Perry told the police that he changed his tires because the tires were super bald and it was on the list that Janet gave him, which they weren't bald. The tire place said they were in great condition. So the records from the tire place showed that he used a Visa credit card. And Perry put all of his purchases on a MasterCard, and Janet always used the Visa. But since her disappearance, Perry was using both of them. Is that weird? Well, I think so, because he strictly only ever used the MasterCard before. And now that she's not around, he's using her credit card? Seems kind of weird. Shortly after the search warrant was served and they couldn't find the hard drive... Perry picked up his kids and moved to Chicago. He was just like, see ya. Like, less than a month after she disappeared. Yeah, that's a little suspect. You know, that he's just like, yep, we're out. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. uh, Like, he's not even trying. 
You know, like, oh, yeah. she'll come back. And he's like, let's just peace. Let's just go somewhere else and start over, guys. Yeah. And friends that Store- helped them pack up and move said that he was talking shit on Janet the whole time he was packing. Like, God, I hate Janet. She ruined my life. Nah, nah. And he was saying stuff like, you know, fuck the Nashville police and fuck the Levines. And it's like, fuck the Levines. What are you talking about? The only reason, dude, you are where you're at in life is because yeah. of the Levines. So, like. You should be singing their praises. Yeah. So this guy and his wife that helped him pack, they were like, don't call us anymore. Like, you're a douchebag. Because he was creepy. And he had even made a comment to the guy's wife, like, do you think I killed Janet? Like, why would you say that? I, yeah. I don't know. That's, you'd you'd think he'd just want to kind of forget the whole thing. Like, don't, you know, like, don't ask me questions about this. Like, yeah, he's stupid. So by the time he leaves for Chicago, the police and a lot of their friends are pretty convinced that he had something to do with Janet's disappearance because he was not acting right, you know. And at first they didn't think so. They wanted to trust him. He was their son. Yeah. So the police announced that they were treating the case as a homicide and Perry was their prime suspect. And once they announced that, the media went wild. And it was a pretty big story in the Nashville area. I don't know that it was a huge story nationwide, but it could have been. We were very young. Yeah, I think it did get a bit of uh, national attention. I don't think it was as big as other things, but right. I think it did get some pretty big attention. Yeah, because the police brought in army helicopters and divers and cadaver dogs, thermal imaging you know, everything to try to find her. And Perry stopped cooperating altogether. He quit cooperating in a big way. Didn't even attend Janet's funeral or memorial service. And he wouldn't let his kids attend. It's like, you're not going to let your kids attend their mother's memorial service? What is the matter with you? So the only reason this doesn't, that would be like, yeah, that's the right call is... If he didn't immediately start referring to her in the past tense, like he really shot himself in the foot with this yeah. in the beginning. Like he thinks she's dead. And what's this dude going? He's like, nah, we're not going. Like he's making himself look so bad so fast. So because all these people involved are attorneys, they're threatening to file defamation suits against each other and wrongful death suits and all this stuff. And it gets really, really messy. Oh, my God. What a mess that would be, just everyone knowing exactly, like, it. you know, everyone says that kind of stuff, and they're just like, eh, they're not going to hire a lawyer. It's like, we don't have to. Yeah. We're saying it. We're going to do it. Yeah. And just, what a nightmare. So, it's been reported that Lawrence Levine was pretty upset, and he was committed to making Perry pay for whatever he did to Janet. So, Perry and Lawrence are kind of going at it now. And they started all this civil litigation and Perry suing them, them suing Perry. It was really, really bad. And in October, Perry filed a petition in Davidson County to have himself appointed as administrator of Janet's assets in her absence. And the Levines were like, absolutely not. Like, you killed her. Like, you can't have all of her stuff. I know. You didn't want her alive. You don't you don't get what she has when she's dead. The court said, no, there's going to be a conservator to protect Janet's property while these people quit fighting. You know, it was all, it was really, really, really messy, but it ruined their relationship with Perry. They were already suspicious of him. It was going downhill, and this litigation just made it 
horrible. So he stopped letting them see the kids. So they filed for visitation and sued him to be able to see their grandkids. And they won. Good. They were awarded visitation with their grandkids. So when they showed up in Chicago for their first visit with their grandkids, Perry was gone. He took the kids and moved to Mexico. Again, like another suspect thing to do. <laughs> like, yeah, every everything. I mean, it makes it a little bit better because that's where his dad lives. So, OK, right. there's a little like saving grace there. But dude. Yeah, but fleeing to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> is never a uh, what innocent people tend to do. No. And within like a week of being down there, he met a local woman named Carmen and they got married shortly after. Like he just like ran off to Mexico and started a whole new life. And back in Nashville, the Levines were pissed and they were like, we want to see our grandkids. You killed our daughter. Like, gosh, dang it. So they filed a wrong, wrongful death allegation against Perry. And to support this, they had to declare Janet legally dead. Perry couldn't represent himself because he'd been disbarred earlier that year for being a douchebag. Fair. Yeah. And so he didn't appear in court and he didn't get a lawyer. He didn't defend himself. Nothing. So the default judgment went to the Levines and he was ordered to pay them $113.5 million, which sounds about how much they spent on him over the 10 years he was married I, to their daughter. Yeah, I would say at least. Yeah. For sure. I mean- we're not even talking about gifts and other things that, that he, you know. Just in his Vanderbilt tuition. Yeah, that too. So in May of 2000, Levines went to Mexico for the first time to get their visitation with their grandkids. Like these people are flying from Nashville to Chicago to Mexico. Like they want to see their grandkids. They love them. They want justice for their daughter, but they really want to see their grandbaby. Because at this point, it's been four years since their daughter went missing. And well, that, but I'm sure they're afraid. Like, I'm well, sure they're too. afraid that he's going to do something to them. Right. You know? So while they were down there, Perry and his jerk father, Ar Arthur, refused to let them see the kids. And they had to go back to Nashville without ever seeing him. So a month later, they came back. And this time they had a Mexican court order as well as the American court order. And they were somehow able to finagle Perry to be arrested by the federales on charges that he had violated the terms of his visa. So while he was in jail trying to figure out how to get these charges dropped, the Levines took the kits and went back to Nashville. Yeah. Like I feel like, you know, scooped him up and just ran as fast as they could to the airport. Yeah. And the whole time Arthur's playing grand theft auto and chasing them all the way to the airport. I think this is super cool. And his wife though, like I've had, I've seen interviews with his wife and she's, just like I don't know why these people want like are so mad, mad at him and why they, you know, are being so mean to him. And it's like it's like, um, are you stupid? Yeah, what are you doing? He killed their daughter and then took their grandbabies to Mexico. Like you're stupid. He killed the woman in your in the position before you. You right. realize this, right? Right. Like <laughs> they take the kids back to Nashville and the visitation order only allowed them to have the kids for 39 days. But while they had them, they already started steps to try to get custody of them. They enrolled them in school. They did a bunch of stuff to try to get custody of them. But Perry fought against this and said that they were abducting his children pretty much. 
So they ended up having to return the kids to Mexico to Perry. Yeah, and those specials and stuff, like, he tries to make it seem like the kids are just like, oh, they love it here. They're just enjoying And it's like, I mean, they probably do enjoy Mexico. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sure a normal life would have been a little bit more up their alley, too. Right. So after the kids went back to Mexico, Perry and his wife settled into their luxury life in Mexico. They started a cafe, and they were just living the good life, them and Arthur and the kids down in Mexico. And in 2003, he even won one of his appeals to overturn the wrongful death lawsuit from the Levines. So it was going well for Perry stealing his kids and going back to Mexico, <laughs> pretty much. I know. And that's it's crazy to me that, like, I know he's never been convicted. I, I understand that there's no real evidence or anything, but, like... He killed his I'm wife. I'm just surprised that they're... <laughs> Well, I, I get that he killed his wife, but there's no, like, yeah. you know, actual evidence against him. I'm just so surprised that, like, because he's, su- he's a suspect. Yeah. Right? Yep. He's a suspect in a murder case, and that he was allowed to do this and get away with it. Yep. Well, even all the overturning of all that stuff and everything, the Nashville police decided that... It was now or never. Even though they didn't have a body or anything like that, they had no physical evidence, they didn't have anything, they decided that it was a strong enough circumstantial case that they had to arrest him. They had to try. Good. Like, I mean, he needed to be arrested a long time ago. Yeah, so in late 2004, they presented evidence against him to a grand jury, and they returned an indictment on charges of second-degree murder, so... In August of 2005, he was arrested at his restaurant in Mexico, and he was taken straight to Guadalajara International Airport and put on a plane back to the United States. He's coming home. Yep. And once the plane landed, they turned him over to the FBI, and he was arrested on the same charges that he was indicted for. And the Levines, right away started trying to get custody of the kids, which eventually they were granted custody of the kids. Yeah, thankfully. And that's exactly where those kids need to be, too. Yeah. So some of the police that escorted him on the plane to Nashville said that he was saying really weird stuff. Like, if I had done it, do you think I could get a deal? If I plead guilty, could I do that? It's like, dude, you're a fucking lawyer. Shut your mouth. Yeah, you know the answers to these questions. Yeah. I don't... uh... You know, maybe there was a big donation that went to Vanderbilt Law School at the same time. That's how he graduated, too, because he's not a very good lawyer. Yeah, it's like, what an idiot. And he was calling it the Janet incident. Like he would say prior to the Janet incident, I've never been involved in any other criminal activity. And it's like, what is the Janet incident? Yeah, what are you talking about, man? And he was asking them, like, what evidence do you have? Did you find her body? You know, it's like, well, how do you know there's a body? Like, he's such a moron. He is a moron. But to make things even better, he was when he was in jail. <laughs> this is the best part. It's the best part of the whole story. He told his cellmate that about what kind of what had happened and basically offered to pay him a large sum of money. I, was, I think it was like 20 grand if he killed his in-laws. Yeah. And just the Levines. Him. The people who bought you a house and sent you to college and bought your dad a house and, like, are you kidding me? He was probably going to ask them for the money to get it, too. Yeah. But, so he asked his cellmate, hey, 
if I give you enough money, will you do this? And the dude turns around and he rats on him. And he's yeah. like, hey, this guy told me this. And they were like, they transferred him to a different prison. And he called or contacted Perry and was like, hey, man, I'm out. And they're like, awesome. But they set this whole thing up. He, they didn't, yeah, they set the whole thing. Yeah, he went to the cops and then the cops were like, hey, do you mind like trapping him? And the guy was like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. <laughs> Like, all right, <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, let's do it. So I and love he this did scheme. It. I super love it. So like you said, they transferred him to another prison and he started making phone calls to Perry saying that he was out of prison and what do I do now? Like, tell me the plan. <laughs> yeah. And obviously it was on prison line, so everything was recorded. Perry told this guy to call his father, Arthur, in Mexico and that Arthur would get him set up with the gun and what to do and da, da da and then Arthur would help him escape back down to Mexico after the murders were done. So this guy calls Arthur and the cops think Arthur's going to be like coy and what are you talking about? My brother, my, my son said that you need help or so, you know, and Arthur was just like, yeah, here's where you're going to get the gun. Here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to dispose of the gun. And then I'll meet you at the airport and pick you up and da da da. And then I'll bring you here and I'll give you the money. And like Arthur knew the whole plan. I think Arthur probably came up with the plan. I think also that might be true. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think that Arthur probably just said something very similar to Perry's mom. And that's how she died. Yeah. So this plan included after the, murders were over Arthur was to pick this guy up at the Guadalajara airport so the FBI instead of sending this guy who was still in prison to the Guadalajara airport (laughs) they just sent FBI agents and arrested Arthur for conspiracy oh it's so good it's so good yeah I know this that was exactly what you would want to have happen too and it did it's just it's it's kind of a happy ending to a sad story it's a really sad story for those kids. They lost their mom. They lost their dad. Their grandfather's going to jail too now. Right. Like, yeah. You know. So at this point, Perry hasn't been convicted of anything, but now he's arrested again and charged with two counts of solicitation to commit murder. Like, <laughs> stupid. Yeah. So when they arrested Arthur and brought him back to the United States to face trial, he sat down with the cops and he was just like, Okay, what do you want to know? And literally spilled the beans. Yep, just let it all out. And what else was he going to do? Like, he was caught red-handed, and he knew it. You know, And I think, too, honestly, he had probably gotten away with his first wife's murder, and so this is probably weighing on him for a while. And so I'm not surprised he didn't fight it. He was just like, yeah, I did it. Like, let's just get this over with. Well, he did it for a deal. So he made a deal with the DA to get a lesser sentence for himself, if he would turn over on his son and the DA was like, sure, this guy's 78 years old. Like, you know, even if we give him 10 years or something, you know, it's going to be a long time, you know? Yeah. And so they gave him a lesser deal and he sang like a canary and told them everything. The exact opposite of the Levines. Like it's the exact opposite. Yeah. They probably would have lied their faces off for Janet. Yeah. This guy was just like, what do you want to know? He totally did it. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's go. <laughs> you know? Yep. So Perry was already a convicted felon by the time his murder trial started, 
because he was found guilty of embezzling $23,000 from his father-in-law's law firm over the two years before Janet had even disappeared. And then a couple of months later, he was convicted of the murder conspiracy charges that we're talking about where he tried to hire this guy to kill the Levines. Then a little bit later, almost 10 years after Janet's disappearance, his trial began. So the prosecution presented all the circumstantial evidence that we'd already gone over. And then also the statements that Arthur made on what happened, on what Perry had told him had happened, what he witnessed had happened after he drove from Mexico to Nashville to help Perry. So they showed his testimony in a video deposition, which pretty much was just like, yeah, my son called me and told me he killed his wife and I drove up there and helped him move the body because this idiot can't even get rid of a body, right? So he says that Perry (laughs) had put Janet's body in the woods behind their house. And when he got there, he moved the body. And he says that Perry's an idiot. They're going to find it there. So he took the body to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where they found a motel and Perry went to sleep and Arthur took Perry's Jeep and Janet's body and drove it to the other side of the city and was planning on throwing it into a creek. But since he couldn't find one deep enough, he instead buried the bag, Janet's clothes and her skeletal remains like underneath a large pile of brush that he found. (laughs) So instead of going like and doing it properly, getting rid of everything, he just put it under leaves. leaves. Yeah. But he got away with it because he was never able to find the exact location where he did it. So prosecutors have never been able to find her remains or police have never been able to find her remains. Not joking. It's probably because all of those leaves are probably dead. And with what she had going on, there was, it, she probably composted down to nothing, you know, yeah. quicker than, than normal. Yeah. So even though they never found her body, they still found his testimony credible because they were like, why would he say this if it wasn't true? He also admitted to being the one that got rid of the hard drive. He was like, oh, yeah, I did that, too. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. But he admitted that he hated the Levines. He thought the Levines were, quote, liars and they were political animals who who used their position with the Jewish mafia and their position with the Democratic Party to get what they want. Is there a Jewish mafia? I don't know. Oh, that's something we should look into. That's the first time I've ever heard of that. So I don't know. Maybe he knows something we don't. Yeah, I don't know. So this trial lasted like a week and the jury deliberated for like less than 10 hours and they came back with a guilty on all charges verdict. Nailed it. Totally nailed it. Although I don't know if it would have been quite as easy without his dad being a rat. Well, probably not. They didn't have a body, but his dad sure uh, let him know where everything besides the body was at and what happened. Yeah. He was convicted on the same day his dad was sentenced, and then his dad died three months later. So his dad he knew he wasn't in good health either. He, he did this for himself, too. He did it for the health care. Man. Yeah. This guy only does cares about himself. He doesn't care about his kids at all. Yeah. I so, wonder what the brother and sister think about of all this. Like, what went down? Yeah. Well, you have to think they grew up in the same house with the same dad. That's... That's what I mean. I wonder how many skeletons are in their closet. 
Yep, exactly. So Perry received a sentence of 56 years in prison. Even with that long of a prison sentence, he sucks. He does appeals after appeals after appeals. He appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court until they finally said, nope, you suck and you're done. I know. I love that the Supreme Court wouldn't even listen. They're like, nah. No. Eh. I mean, and the Supreme Court only listens to a handful of cases every year anyway, so they're very selective, and this is pretty open and shut, but I'm glad they were just like, no. Yeah. Get out of here with that. Yeah. So from after his final appeal to the Supreme Court was denied, he is done. He's exhausted all of his appeals. He's going to spend until at least 2038 in prison. He's eligible for parole? Yeah, in 2038. Oh, wow. Yeah. But after all of his appeals were exhausted, he was plotting an escape. So they had to move him prisons. Yes. Good job, Perry. Yeah, it's like, this guy is such a nightmare. Just when you think he can't get any dumber, he (laughs) totally surprises you and does something dumber. That's the other thing. It's like, dude. You only have 16 more years before you're eligible for parole. If you escape, you're fucked. You're in there forever. Yep. Yeah, of course. Like, this like, guy's just an idiot. He's just dumb on all accounts. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody being handed anything quite like he's been handed things and screwing it up so badly on top of it. Yeah. So... After Perry's been convicted, sentenced, all of his appeals exhausted, Arthur finally dies and the Levines can kind of like go back to living their life and raising their grandbabies and everything. Lawrence and Janet's brother, Mark, drafted a bunch of changes to the Tennessee law to kind of help based on their experience of what happened with this whole thing. They wanted to expand, like, all the laws about grandparents' visitation rights and all that kind of stuff, and judges being allowed to terminate custody of children when their parents suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad, again, I'm glad, you know, there was a lot of bad that happened, but at least some good stuff did come out of it. Yeah. And there is an art gallery at Nashville's Gordon Jewish Community Center that was named for Janet as a memorial. Well, that's lovely. So... If there is a Jewish mafia, apparently they're into art. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, you know. The mob usually is very classy like that. Yeah. So, that's the story of Perry March and his idiot dad, Arthur March, and the horrible shit they did to Janet. It actually turned out to be quite the interesting case, honestly. I mean... Yep. So, hopefully Perry March never gets out. I really hate that he's eligible not. for parole. Yeah, but I mean... With his escape plan, I don't think he's going to, you know, make it the first time. So there's at least that. Yep. How often can you be up for parole? I don't know. It depends on your sentence. But he's been a jerk even since then. He sues the prison left and right for all kinds of shit. Like he says that his meals aren't kosher, even though he's on a kosher diet and all this. It's like, well, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not kosher. It was like the insurrectionist whose mom had to call like the sheriff or something because he only ate organic or vegan or something like that. Like, sorry, dude, you you got to eat. Oh, he did get end up getting what he wanted. So I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess it's exactly like that. Well, they offer kosher meals in prison because it's a it's a thing. I mean, they have to. Sure. 
And, yeah, of course. But he's suing the prison because he's saying that they're saying it's kosher, but it's not kosher. And it's like, uh, well, you're I in see. prison, so sorry about it. Don't kill your wife, and then you can eat as much kosher shit as you want. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's just doing it to cause a, a ruckus and be a pain. Yeah. He probably thinks, oh, if you know, I bug him enough with these appeals and stuff, when I'm up for parole, they'll get me out. Yeah. But negative. It's like, that's not how this is going to work. No. <laughs> but You can't annoy yourself out of prison. I, I don't think that. But if we've learned anything from this, he's not a very good lawyer anyway, so I don't know how many of these he wins. Yeah, no kidding. So, no kidding. It is what it is. So, all right. Well, that is this week's episode. I like it. That was a good one. I'm I'm very happy with it. Yeah. All right. Well, I am done with this. All right. Well, <laughs> I know. It was pretty lengthy, but yeah. we'll, uh, we'll get it figured out. I love you. I love you too. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will call you later. Okay. I wanted to say that because in case I forget to call you on your real birthday. Oh, you won't forget. <laughs> well, it's happened before. Most of my other friends will, but <laughs> you won't. All right. I love you. All right. I love you too. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Okay.